Well, thank you for tuning in to the podcast for the Center for Ancient Christian Studies. My name is Coleman Ford, and uh, coming to you from sunny San Diego, California. It's a beautiful day here uh, at the Evangelical Theological Society annual meeting for 2014. Uh, And sitting right now with uh, Dr. Stephen Presley, who is the Assistant Professor of Biblical Interpretation at uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, the, the Houston extension there. And uh, we're excited to talk with them today. And uh, Stephen, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Coleman. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, just to kick things off, uh, Steve, things that we uh, love to talk about with the podcast is how scholars got into the field of patristic studies, ancient Christian studies. You wonder what was the catalyst there? What were some books, maybe some voices that were speaking into your life that really ignited your passion for early Christianity? Yeah. Um, I grew up uh, Southern Baptist. Uh, I grew up outside of Dallas and uh, uh, was raised in a, you know, a Christian home and uh, was trained in the faith you know, in the Southern Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I was in college, I felt a call to go to ministry and to go into uh, to seminary. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but um, I, uh, I, I looked around and I was in Dallas and decided uh, because of DTS's program, I went to Dallas Seminary to do my master's degree. And uh, I, I can still remember walking into uh, the first class taught by Jeff Bingham, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Church History One, um, and he walked. We, when you walked in, the opening lecture was a whole whole discussion on the nature of patristic hermeneutics and the nature of hermeneutics in general, uh, and the importance of theological method and the importance of a, a, a situating yourself within a particular hermeneutic and a particular theological construct mm-hmm. to be able to understand Scripture, even be able to understand a tradition. And once I took that class, it was uh, I, I was sold. Uh, so I ended up you know, studying historical theology at uh, Dallas Seminary. Mm-hmm. Did my master's thesis under Jeff Bingham in uh, Irenaeus and Genesis. It was actually Irenaeus in, in uh, trying to understand Genesis one twenty six, the image of God mm-hmm. text. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, that inspired my love for both Irenaeus and Genesis. So I went on to do a PhD at the University of St Andrews in Scotland. Uh, did a, my master's, my PhD dissertation was entitled "The Intertextual Reception of Genesis One Through Three in Irenaeus of Lyon." Mm-hmm. So a big, uh, a big mouthful there. Mm-hmm. But um, it uh, it was it was good. I finished it up uh, in 2012, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, glad to glad to have that done. Great. Yeah. 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 So it sounds like there was definitely that that aha moment when you heard and you saw and you saw the light, so to speak, and. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, we grow up. We're, we're evangelicals, and um, there, there's an opening line of uh, of of, um, of a book uh, reading scripture or reading the uh, reading the Old Testament with the ancient church mm-hmm. by, by uh, Ron Heine, and 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 he opens the line of the preface by saying evangelicals are in danger of having a cut flower faith. Mm. And at the beginning of that line, he's really talking about the Old Testament. And how evangelicals are truly New Testament Christians, and that's mm. all that we read is the New Testament, and we love the New Testament. In the same way, uh, we we don't read the Old Testament, we don't read the tradition. There's so much outside of of, of what's going on in the New Testament and, mm. Uh, mm. that we miss out on. Mm. And you know, when I went into that class, just listening to him talk about the Church Fathers opened up a, a world of theology, a world of biblical interpretation. Mm. That I had never experienced, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was it was it changed my life. That's great, and, and, and set the trajectory for what I wanted to study and what I wanted to think about. That's right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So thinking about that trajectory, you said studies 
took you to St. Andrews in Scotland. Who was the person there that you yep. studied with? What was the thing that attracted to you them to, to them the most, that attracted you to them the most? And, and ultimately, what was your experience like there? What were some things that shaped you? What were some things maybe that advisor poured into you and that you feel like he took away and that you are a better person for maybe forming your virtue, your character, things like this. Yeah. So my supervisor in, in uh, University of St. Andrews was Dr. Mark Elliott, um, who did his work on origin and origin's reading of the Song of Songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and what inspired me to go to St. Andrews is St. Andrews is pretty unique in, in one area, and that is there, there's a lot of discussion at the University of St. Andrews about the theological interpretation of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Now, this goes back to the works of Chris Seitz, Richard Balcom, mm-hmm. Marcus Bachmuel, mm-hmm. uh, and my supervisor, Mark Elliott. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of those are from various disciplines. Mark, uh, Mark was bringing in the historical elements. So mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a interested in history of biblical interpretation. Mm-hmm. So I was interested in two things. One, doing work on the fathers and being part of a broader conversation on how to read scripture theologically and mm-hmm. what, what this whole conversation about theological interpretation was. Mm-hmm. So you had New Testament, uh, the New Testament discipline bringing in uh, this added New Testament element. Um, you had Old Testament scholars trying to gather around what, what does it mean to read the Old Testament theologically, and then I was trying to to add the voice of what, how, do, how does how does the tradition inform the way we read Scripture theologically? Mm. So that's why I went to St. Andrews to be part of that. I, I, they they offer a master's degree, or we offered a master's degree in theological interpretation of Scripture. Wow. It's one of the only I, I can't think of another institution that offers that, mm. but that was kind of the the vision of, of, of Chris Seitz and, and Mark Elliott and some of the, the other the other uh, professors there. So mm-hmm. I wanted to be part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, at the same time, Mark, I, I was very interested in patristic exegesis, mm-hmm. trying to understand how the fathers handled scripture. And, uh, you know, that was what he was trained in. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the direction I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. great. That's great. And I think that's, uh, obviously, that's an ongoing conversation. You know, um, you know, one of our mentor professors at Southern, you know, says, you know, I think I'm in this theological interpretation of Scripture, whatever that means. I don't know. I just know I'm trying to uh, listen to the voices that have influenced the faith, and obviously patristic, but even you know, moving forward, medieval and Reformation and things like this, and and noticing that that's something that's remiss within our own interpretation. Obviously, we have appropriated some benefits from modern scholarship and linguistic studies and things like this, but often to the neglect of the voices that came before. And you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants of the faith, and sometimes we, we kind of cut off their legs and say, um, you know, we can do this better and yeah. we don't need you. Yeah, we're not the first ones to come and read the Bible. We're right. not the first ones to <laughs> wrestle with the great mysteries of life. We're not the first one to wrestle with challenges in the church. Yeah. Uh, we're not the first one to wrestle with the problems of pastoral ministry mm-hmm. and, and how to read scripture. We're not the first ones mm-hmm. to uh, that we can draw on a wealth of tradition in mm-hmm. which, I mean, I'm reading a paper here on Justin uh, and, and, and it's his second apology. In the opening of his second apology, he begins with a conversation about a woman who's caught and uh, has recently converted to the faith mm-hmm. and she has remained she has remained married to an unbeliever Mm -hmm. and the church is wrestling with first Corinthians seven. How do I apply first Corinthians seven in this context? Mm -hmm. And it ends up tragic because she ends up and, and, and several other people in the church in the second century get, uh, end up, uh, become martyred as a result of Mm -hmm. her trying to divorce, uh, uh, you know, her husband who wanted to, uh, who rejected Christianity and, 
and didn't want to remain married to a Christian. So mm-hmm. it, right there you have a church wrestling with 1 Corinthians 7, which these are the questions that my students at the seminary wrestle with. Mm-hmm. What is marriage and divorce? How, do, mm-hmm. how does the church handle it? Yeah. What does it mean when I come to faith in Christ and, I have to, and I'm still married to someone who, who rejects the faith? How do mm-hmm. I handle these situations? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, we do ourselves a, a great disservice um, when we think that our answer is going to be better. And, and, and in certain respects, maybe we have learned from the flaws and f- learned from the mistakes yeah. of previous interpreters. And I think we, uh, we can say that with much reverence and respect yeah. to them. Yeah. That um, you know, we, we do have the gift of church history pouring into our own lives. Yeah. But I, yeah, I appreciate that perspective and just being able to look back and say, hey, look, these folks, same thing, yep. same thing. So yep. well, I appreciate that. You know, and so just, just moving forward, you know, something that we love to do and think about with the center as we try to encourage future ministers, future scholars, pastors in the church, you know, if you, you were talking about those who you teach, those who are wrestling with the same issues, how do you feel like your teaching, your background, your interests should be influencing ministers in the church, future pastors, future proclaimers of the gospel? You know, what is the one or two things that you're really trying to impress upon your yeah. students in the seminary? I think in terms of drawing on a, a, the wealth of tradition, mm-hmm. in terms of teaching, mm-hmm. you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, let's say the, the one thing I've really, you know, I, I could pinpoint a number of things, but uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is the importance of a theological method and a theological framework for reading Scripture. Mm. That we do not read Scripture in a vacuum. We do not come to Scripture uh, w- w- without uh, a particular theological perspectives and theological understandings. And, and any assumption that we come to Scripture outside of, of, of uh, theological uh, commitments and convictions is, is in my view, um, naive. And um, it's important to think about theology when you read scripture. And so your scripture reading uh, should press you towards both constructive and, um, and uh, you know, critical elements of your faith. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and it's something the Father's model beautifully. Uh, so much of our, our, our biblical studies doesn't wrestle enough with the theological issues that are resident in the text and that are raised in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so um, when, when I teach Bible or when I teach theology courses... I'm constantly pressing them towards the theological issues that are being raised. And it's only after that you begin to think through those theological issues that you construct modes of application Mm -hmm. that can can inform your pastor, that can inform your ministry, that can inform the way in which you you, uh, you lead your church. Mm -hmm. So I I think the importance of theology and the importance of of, uh, of wrestling with theological questions that are raised in Scripture— is, is one thing I impress upon my students. Mm. Um, it's not just about method. It's not about learning a, a biblical methodology of how to read scripture. It's, there is a, method is important, but it's important to, to, to think theologically about what's going on in scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. That's helpful. Okay, yeah. that's really helpful. You know, and again, you know, we have numerous folks here doing similar things, but also different things. Uh, within the scope of ancient Christian studies. And, uh, you know, you've been in uh, scholarship now for a few years. You've been producing um, articles, working on monographs, things like this. Uh, And I think we'll we'll get to some of those things in a little moment. What I would love to hear from you is just, as you've been reading, what are some projects you feel like, I would love to do that, but I can't, I don't have time. And maybe someone who's listening... Yeah. pick up that charge um, and, and move forward 
let's see, in my experience, I, my interests are history of biblical interpretation and um, uh, the intersection of theology next to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think uh, right now there's a wealth of um, understanding and interpretation of New Testament texts mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the early Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is lacking is Old Testament. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of work being done on how to read the Old Testament theologically in terms of of, of individual, both in the terms of individual interpreters and looking at synthetic treatments of text across the discipline. So, mm-hmm. um, for example, you know, my dissertation and what will be my monograph is Irenaeus's reading of Genesis. Prior to me, there was only one other dissertation that looked at Genesis, and that was done in 2006 or 2007. Other than that, there is no treatment. Mm. There is no individual treatment of Irenaeus's use of any Old Testament book outside the book of Genesis. Mm. But I can point you to works that have looked at his use of Matthew's gospel, his use of John's gospel, his use of, of Luke, uh, his use of, of the Pauline epistles. Mm-hmm. I can walk you through the New Testament and look at second century, uh, focused treatments of second century, third century, uh, fourth century interpretations of the New Testament. But, but we need work done on Old Testament mm-hmm. interpretation. Mm-hmm. How is the Old Testament being received and read, especially within continuity of the New Testament? Mm-hmm. And not just the issue of method, not just studying how the Old Testament and the New Testament being used, but tr- how is the Old Testament informing the early Christian, early Christian theology, mm-hmm. early Christian um, you know, understandings of, of the church and understandings of salvation and nature and grace and those kinds of mm-hmm. questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think Old, Old Testament is wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think more work needs to be done on how the how the church, early Christian tradition is reading the Old Testament. Mm, that's yeah. good, you know. And I think of Chris Seitz in that project as well. You know, he's Old Testament focused and things yeah. like this, um, and that's encouraging. I mean, yeah. um, and going back to the, you know, we're evangelicals. We're very rooted in the gospel, rightly so, and uh, which is, is New Testament, you know. Um, yeah. You know, language. Um, and yeah, New Testament, because of its proximity to, let's say, even second and third century, mm-hmm. there's a natural relationship mm-hmm. that goes. Yeah. So when you start talking about issues of canon formation, issues of, of text criticism, mm-hmm. you naturally find yourself in the Apostolic Fathers or in the Apologists or in Irenaeus looking at, you know, how are they using text? So there's a natural association between New Testament discipline and early Christianity. Mm-hmm. But there is a lacking of the Old Testament, in, you know, as a, in, in its contribution. Mm-hmm. To, okay. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that perspective, yeah. that yeah. encouragement. Yeah. And, and I hope those listening might start exploring those topics yeah. as well. And if you could, what would be some key texts, just broadly speaking, yeah. that have influenced you that you would love to point listeners to and whether it's Old Testament you know, church reception of the Old Testament, but regardless, just patristic studies, things that have really formed you that you would recommend to listeners. You mean textbooks? Textbooks, secondary textbooks. texts, even yeah. even primary sources that you just feel like this is, you've got to get into this. Yeah, my entryway really began um, with Christopher Hall's series, Reading mm-hmm. Scripture with the Church Fathers, Learning mm-hmm. Theology with the Church Fathers. Those are great entryways mm-hmm. uh, published by IVP, great entryways into both how the Church Fathers are reading and um, the the theological framework. I think he even published doing worship with the church fathers. Mm, so that mm-hmm. three volume series is a great entryway into both in, into the dynamics of, of ancient Christianity from worship to scripture to theology mm-hmm. and, and working through that. Um, <clears throat> really, I got my start with J.N.D. Kelly's early Christian doctrines. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would recommend any student starting out in patristics needs to memorize mm-hmm. J.N.D. Kelly's mm-hmm. early Christian doctrines. I mean, that is the that is where early Christian, you know, that is the, the 
the synthetic treatment of early Christian theology. Yeah. So, and you know, any student that, of mine that was interested, I would hand them a copy of J. Andy Kelly and say, "Go, yeah, memorize this." That's right. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah. Mine's uh, <laughs> my, the spine on mine is creased in multiple different ways. Yeah, you know, where I've tried to hold it open yeah. and just you know read it and things like that. And then, yeah. yeah, Michael Spiegel gave me that same kind of encouragement. We took a seminar with him at, at Dallas Seminary, and, and that was our main text, yeah. really. And if you're interested in patristic exegesis, probably the, the best volume is, is Sanctified Vision. Right. So Sanctified Vision, published by John O'Keefe and, and, and Rusty Reno, um, both Catholic scholars, and, and, and they do a nice job of walking you through uh, type, what is typology, what is allegory, um, what is intensive reading. I love the chapter on intensive reading. Is it reminds you of how how focused the fathers were on scripture, mm-hmm. and how so how we love to look up, um, you know, backgrounds and those kinds of things that are important. The mm-hmm. fathers were interested in reading scripture first and foremost mm-hmm. intensely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he even ends in that book with uh, a chapter on the rule of faith and and the holy life. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about your interest in virtue and the role of the holy life uh, in terms of scripture reading. How mm-hmm. is it important for the pastor, the Christian, uh, to maintain a life of virtue mm-hmm. and reading scripture. How does how does my you know walk with Christ, my uh, sanctification impact my uh, my scripture reading? And the fathers were contemplating. That's right. So yeah, and I think the popular notion, of course, and we and we we recognize this is that the popular notion is that <clears throat> they were you know just uh, influenced by you know Hellenistic categories and, and of course to some extent they are, that's yeah. their context, but yeah. to the detriment of the, the biblical, theological, deeply rooted scriptural ideas. And um, you know, I, I, I fully believe, I mean we, we, we uphold inerrancy. These are things that as evangelicals uh, you know we hold dear to and uh, and I think in that sense we need to look at the fathers because they were greater inerrantists than we were at some points, you Absolutely. know? <laughs> Absolutely. I yeah. mean their their love for the scriptures yeah. transcends um, I, I I, I dare say we we are uh, we are very small in in relationship to their mm-hmm. love for scripture and their mm-hmm. love for the word of God mm-hmm. and it, it is it's often funny because they we, we often think about the early fathers of the church as, as interested in other things besides scripture but when you read their writings um, it's completely the opposite I mean you can't get far let's say you pick up Irenaeus's copy of Against Heresies or Versus Heresis you don't have to read three chapters before he's quoted mm. multiple many mm-hmm. dozens mm-hmm. of passages of scripture and, mm-hmm. and his mind is actively engaging scripture I mean the biblical world the language of scripture is mm-hmm. is on the tips of his tongue and, mm-hmm. and, and the the counseling that he's doing with others I mean if you even if you look at his demonstration of apostolic preaching you know he's training a young a, a young man in the faith a catechist and it's just full of scripture. Mm. He's teaching him scripture, mm. and uh, so yeah, yeah. Their world is uh, is his scripture is intimately associated with their world in ways that uh, I'm not even sure we can uh, we understand or, or can attain. But, yeah, yeah. We're, I think yeah. we're just yeah. we're we're still start. You know, we're still in that initial appreciation of it. Yeah. And you know, Reno O'Keefe's work is very helpful in that regard. Um, you know, I, I can't remember what I read somewhere, but it, it's an observation that's been made. But I mean, if, if you if we were not to have any New Testament manuscript, you yeah. read the Fathers and you yeah. have the New Testament. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They they are quoting it all the time, mm-hmm. and and um, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, and and it, it's funny how uh, 
we just think that they're not that, you know, we think that they're swayed by cultural influences. No doubt they were, you know, mm-hmm. um, but we often naively assume that we're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that uh, in many ways, looking at the ways in which they're, they're shaped by their cultural context and yet remain faithful to the tradition, remain faithful to scripture, mm-hmm. uh, should inspire and encourage us that even in the midst of our context, the, 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 the things that are shaping us, we can mm-hmm. remain faithful know the scriptures that's helpful and, yeah. and 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 maybe this is kind of what you were leading to but just noting that there is similar context as far as so even early christianity you know fourth century even before you know just as we're kind of moving into this post post-christian world you know especially maybe in america yeah. where obviously we are still benefiting from greco i mean uh, sorry from judeo-christian values, things that have influenced his culture, but obviously seeing sways in that and cultural yep. pushback against that and just how much more necessary it is to go back to the history of faith yep. and say, okay, how yep. were these yep. individuals dealing with it? Not not necessarily the same level of persecution uh, that, yep. that we saw back in those times, but or even that we're seeing overseas now uh, yep. with ISIS and other things, uh, but just to get that, that resourcement, which is continuing yep. to be necessary um, for yeah. us. I mean, I've taught in, along those lines. I've taught in class, or I've, I've, you know, we've discussed in class just in particular how important is, for example, uh, even a second century apologetic. Mm-hmm. You know, with your second century apologists between Athenagoras, Theophilus of Antioch, Justin Martyr, you know, th- they're not writing to the church. They're writing apologies. They're writing defenses of the Christian faith to, the, to you know, the Roman Senate, mm-hmm. you know, to Marcus Aurelius. They're writing to the culture. They're dialoguing with the culture. They're responding to the culture, and, and, and just like you said, in a world that has many similarities to the world in which we find ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of pluralism, in terms of, you know, um, uh, what's going on. So, so many parallels, we can go back even to the second century and look, you know, um, just for example, I mean, Justin's responding to misconceptions, Athenagoras is the same thing, misconceptions mm-hmm. about what Christianity does believe and doesn't believe, That's right. does practice, doesn't practice. Yeah. How, can we re- how can we recover that? What misconceptions about... Christianity can we clarify mm-hmm. uh, in our culture? That's right. right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, just to shift gears a little bit as we kind of draw to a close. I mean, we um, had kind of alluded to previously. You're working on a monograph uh, with Brill. Just signed a contract with that uh, to publish uh, your your dissertation topic, uh, Irenaeus yeah. and Genesis. Give us a quick rundown of what that's going to look like, what to expect there, sure. and uh, when to expect that. Yeah, the, uh, the title is, uh, at least the working title right now, uh, is uh, The Intertextual Reception of Genesis 1 through 3 in Irenaeus of Lyon. Um, and the, the topic is, I approach Irenaeus from the lens of uh, intertextuality. So I draw on the literary criticism, or I draw on literary criticism's perspective uh, of intertextuality and apply it to Irenaeus' reading of Genesis 1 through 3. My question is not, how did Irenaeus read Genesis 1 through 3? Alone, my question is: How does Irenaeus' reading of Genesis one through three inform his reading of the rest of Scripture? Mm-hmm. So, when I did analysis of Genesis one through three, I wasn't just looking at Genesis; I was actually looking at the context and just seeing how Genesis is informing his reading of all these other texts, and precisely looking at how he's getting from the words, the images, the concepts of Genesis one through three 
to other scriptures. How is he getting there? Um, the reason I picked Genesis 1 through 3 is every major theological framework is built upon what happens in Genesis 1 through 3. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything. You have, you have theology of creation. You have theology of, you know, you have your doctrine of sin. You have, um, uh, you know, all those issues. Um, the first fruits of salvation um, mm-hmm. predicted or, or described in, in, in Genesis 1 through 3. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and it's fascinating to go into the, the mind of one early Christian writer and to look at how, for him, the Bible is is, is a single drama mm. of Scripture. And Genesis 1 through 3 is the opening stage. Mm. And the words, the concepts, the images in Genesis 1 through 3 launch him and catapult him from, from, from Genesis 1 to Romans 5 with the Adam-Christ typology, or Romans 1 Corinthians 15 with the Adam-Christ typology, or, or the covenants, uh, you know, launching from Abraham, from Adam to Abraham, you know, on to the new covenant. And... And so I I construct a set of classifications that describe and delineate how Irenaeus networks Genesis 1 through 3 with the rest of Scripture. Mm -hmm. So in essence, the work is hermeneutical, and the contribution it makes is precisely describing how Irenaeus' intertextuality is expressed in conceptual terms. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. And that's coming out on Brill in ESMA time? It's coming out on Brill. It should be hopefully out next summer. Right. Um, and so uh, we're, we're looking towards that. So we'll get to see that in the book room yeah. next year. Yeah, That's very great. excited. Very excited to great. see it. Great. Well, well, again, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us, taking some time out of your schedule to be with us here. Um, you know, kind of last final question, something that I think will be interesting to listeners is, you know, looking back on your, your journey, if, if you had just two minutes to sit down with a student, someone who's just getting into graduate studies, maybe a, a, even a pastor who's looking towards this idea, what is something that you would say, hey, I would love to think about this from my own journey, some things that you learned along the way. Two minutes, what would you tell that person? Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I, I would, I think if, if, if I could tell them anything, what I've learned from the church fathers um, and what I've learned from my study, particularly his, of history of biblical interpretation, it's the importance of reading the Bible as a cohesive unit. Mm-hmm. And it's not just narratively. It's not just understanding the Bible as a grand drama of salvation, but there is a much richer and much much more Christian and much beautiful, much more beautiful way of seeing the Bible as a single unit centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Mm. And, um, and, and that's what, you know, in general, that's what I've learned from, from trying to understand the way the fathers read scripture and the way that can inform, you know, even, uh, even my preaching, the way I preach a passage on a Sunday morning in a Baptist church, mm-hmm. the way I think about a passage, that uh, that ultimately all this scripture is pointing towards mm-hmm. the person of work of Christ in various ways, um, both narratively leading up to, as a drama of salvation leading up to Christ, but in terms of prophecy and fulfillment, in terms of Christ's preexistence, in terms of a variety of, 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 of uh, in a tapestry and a beautiful portrait of, of scripture centered on the person work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, I appreciate that perspective, and I'm sure those who are listening will appreciate that as well. You know, so thank you so much, Stephen, for joining us. And you know, we look forward to the Brill volume. We look forward to future work and hopefully future connections that we have with you and, and with the center. And yeah. um, 
you know, if you're ever in Louisville, we'd love to have you out, and maybe we can plan a time where you can uh, gather around some folks and yeah. and pour in this passion I've heard today. So that's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, again, this is yeah. the, the podcast for the Center for Ancient Christian Studies, and coming from San Diego, uh, and we've enjoyed this time together with uh, Stephen Presley, again, Assistant Professor of Biblical Interpretation from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Thank you.